Welcome to the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories of growth and transformation. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Sophie Jackson. Sophie is a natural systems thinker. Sophie has a degree in biology and has a great experience in public and private sector uh, organizations working across in the charity sector and various other places and delivering change, really making uh, impactful change to the organization that Sophie's working with. I've had the great pleasure of working with Sophie for many years, and, and her real passion is very much about systems thinking, about making a big difference to the way that organizations go forward and making them more efficient. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you. Thank you for such a, a lovely introduction. Great to have you on board. In your experience, you've, you've done a lot of work on systems thinking with various organisations, but why is strategic thinking difficult? I find that lots of people struggle with strategic thinking, and I think it comes from a bias towards executing solutions all the time to the existing obstacles that we have, uh, rather than our strategic goal setting. It's a really understandable part of our evolution. Um, we're essentially children of complex discoveries but with basic goals and we've created our environment but we haven't evolved quickly enough to keep up with it and we're also quite bad at managing risks both threats and opportunities which clouds our ability to think strategically so um, we tend to focus far more on an immediate risk rather than the future regardless of impact an example where I've worked before, I had time-dependent work. So it would arrive and I'd have a very narrow window to conduct the work on what had arrived. And the way it was when I started was that people would just send things in. We wouldn't know that they were coming. And I was being called in all hours of the day and night, weekdays, weekends, despite having core hours that I had to, to work as well. And then the organisation was very frustrated with their overtime bill. Um, so they decided that it, it was difficult. Um, they wanted to investigate it as fraudulent. And I suggested that the best way forward would be that there was a system put in place for how people actually sent in the work. And we did a calendar so that people could see what was already booked in and they could adjust their schedule around it um, to make the most of the core times I did have to cover and minimise the amount of overtime which ultimately led to the solution they needed. What was happening was the classic keep executing without properly scrutinising what was going on. Um, so before I started they were going around in circles and that can be really diff uh, typical where people find strategic thinking to be difficult. Yes, absolutely. It's, I mean, that, that is a, a very classic thing that we, we see. I think it sort of goes back to that which is urgent and that which is important, that there's a lot of priority put on the urgent. And I suppose if you go back in, in sort of evolution, you know, um, cave, in caveman times, the, the urgent thing was probably important as well. If you didn't catch you know, the food today or deal with the, um, you know, the thing that was kind of going to potentially eat you or whatever in the future, um, you, you were in big trouble. Whereas nowadays we perceive 
things around us as being perhaps more important than they are. So the the strategic thinking, the you know, what does all this mean, etc., gets put on the back burner. And meanwhile, the the kind of issue about oh well, there's this this little error here. There's a, a bit of an administrative you know issue here. All those things bubble to the fore, don't they? Exactly. And I think people often look at that immediate problem without even really backtracking to exactly where it's come from. So you can mop up the immediate issue without fixing the root problem as well. And that's very much a feature of systems thinking, isn't it? That we try to get underneath, you know, what's the what's the driving course? If you can get down to sort of some of the, you know, the behaviours and the, the kind of mental models people have of the way that things work, then you can make, you know, really big changes, just as you were trying to there in then getting sort of the, the thinking more around, well, how do we prioritise this? How do we set up a kind of heartbeat, a way of working, um, rather than simply dealing with the, oh, we've got a bit too much work to do right now? <laughs> mm, absolutely. <laughs> It's it's interesting, isn't it, to think about this, this, the difficulty of, of sort of strategic thinking. But why why does strategic thinking feel so uncomfortable for people? Well, I've worked obviously I've worked a lot of places, and it is a consistent theme that people are uncomfortable with strategic thinking. And what I've found is that it hits into sort of our own individual issues. We often lack awareness of ourselves and that can mean that you're governed by unconscious parts of yourself without even realizing an example that I've seen time and again is people who are always looking for an adult who knows better than they do who's going to give them the thumbs up for their decisions we're often taught to obey adults whether it's our parents or our teachers when we're children and that we're not we're not to question their validity. But the key to strategic thinking is asking, what is the point? And put in the context of looking for an adult to obey, that sounds antagonistic and it clashes with our idea of being a good person, a good boy or girl back then. We also tend to seek comfort more than anything. We often seek it more than happiness and it's often why history will repeat itself even if it wasn't good because it feels comfortable and it's a case of do you want to fail comfortably or succeed uncomfortably there's a really interesting question isn't it for people who are a bit kind of set in their ways i'm not sure i'd ask it quite as directly as that but i mean it's a, it's a really important point isn't it that we do and we're, we are naturally creatures of comfort You know, I see that in all the people around me. I see it very much in myself that there are things I probably should be doing, which would move me quite, you know, considerably outside of my comfort zone. But on the other hand, it's very comfortable to do do some things. I've heard that from quite senior leaders as well. I was having a conversation with someone a while back who said actually going out and working with a particular team felt very uncomfortable. Um, But he really wished that he had gone out and worked with them a lot more. So even you know people right at the top of organisations are still kind of guided by by that to to an extent as much as they would say that you know they're they're, they're into kind of go, going and doing whatever whatever really matters. Still, comfort is is important. We all want to be comfortable. At the end of the day, no, you can't blame someone for wanting that that comfort. I really like what you said about the looking for the adult. So there's a film, 13 Days, which looks at the Cuban Missile Crisis and how John F. Kennedy, as president of the United States at the time, 
was trying to navigate that. And essentially, you know, the situation was Russia had brought these weapons to Cuba and America had to get rid of them. And almost every strategy they could think of would lead to destruction of something that was Russian, like the missiles or, you know, the personnel. And then that would lead then Russia to retaliate, which would naturally be a retaliation against NATO, which would then lead to World War Three. So JFK was trying to find some way out of that. And there was a wonderful scene in the film with Kevin Costner, where you have JFK and his brother Bobby standing on the terrace of the White House. They said, well, this is this is a pretty fine you know, position to be in. You know, we don't have really any options and we've got to make a decision. And where are the, the you know, old grey men? Where are the people that you could go to? Effectively, where is the adult here? And they said, you know, you look around and there's no one left. It's just us. And it is it is quite extraordinary, isn't it? I'm sure we've all been in that situation where it would be nice to have someone to refer to, not necessarily to make the decision, but someone to go and ask, you know, questions of, etc. But in the end, there's only you. And that's that's quite tough. It's something we it's it's there's a real kind of step in life, isn't there, when you realise, no, I, it's me. I've got to make that decision. Yes. I think it's horrible to realise when you're the grown up all of a sudden and oh no, I desperately desperately don't want to be the adult right now, but here you are. Um Absolutely. It's a it's a tough, tough position to be in. And so we've got sort of we talked about a number of kind of biases. You've got the the kind of the urgently important, we've got this sort of kind of the unconscious bias around wanting to remain in a, in a place of comfort, etc., and wanting to look for others to you know others to perhaps make the decision, etc. But what do you think it is? What's the what's the thing that really makes strategic thinking scary? What's the thing that you know is is, is probably the most discomforting of all of the the work on strategic thinking? I think the scariest thing is that we always have to make choices. We will always lack information, and we cannot be certain of what the future will be, and we hold this false belief that there is a perfect choice that we could be making. And that if we just understood more that there's this key piece of information that's going to make it perfect. But in reality, we can only choose between different types of suffering. There is no perfect choice. Everything else is imperfect. This is perfect. We also have a tendency to fear the things that have already happened and project them into the future. A good example I've got is myself, that I have a real tendency to be incredibly financially risk adverse. And I can trace that back to my parents being made bankrupt when I was born, I was two weeks old, and growing up in an environment where that has happened, and the realities of what bankruptcy brings it has no bearing on my life if anything my life is the opposite from the, those experiences and yet I find it incredibly difficult to take even the smallest perceived risk financially even though logically I know that I should and it is the fear of, of failure as well and um, the idea that by doing something, we might fail. And a strategic thinker really needs to accept that failure is a possibility and not necessarily the end of the world. And that often doing nothing is the most likely thing to lead to failure. It is, isn't it? You're right. And there's there's a great perception. It's certainly one that is prevalent in certain parts of government that it's better not to make a decision, that you're, you could be punished for the decision that you do make. 
but not making a decision is still okay. Doesn't I mean there are some some parts of government that are very dynamic and um, you know really embrace taking the decisions and taking things forward, and the fact that ultimately there is a possibility of failing, and you have to embrace that, of course, as you go forward. But there are other places that are less willing to to take that risk. I like your your description of the sort of you know the options to choosing between different types of suffering. I'm not sure I would put it that way to a clan in terms of you know there's. <laughs> I think uh, I, I know where you're coming from, but I think what um, I mean, what it really boils down to is that there isn't that perfect option, and what you end up choosing between is things that are different levels of imperfect, and that's natural in a world where we're not going to have the magic wand, we're not going to be able to change everything all at once. What we might opt for is something that's you know a bit better and a bit better, etc., and that hopefully will build towards sort of sort of something which heads towards the the ideal. But it is there. There is no one perfect way forward. It's it's just as you said. It is it is a a case of finding something that's better than kind of where you are at the moment. So we've looked at quite a lot of the the things that sort of hold us back from being great strategic thinkers. What can we take from this? What can we learn from this in terms of being able to go forward and make better strategic decisions? Well, I think I think the really positive thing that you can take away from this is that. There's an awful lot of impact that you can make by knowing yourself. Back to the classic Socrates, you just got to know yourself. It might not necessarily, for example, make you comfortable, but you can understand why you feel uncomfortable and be able to make better choices, better decisions and think clearer because you know where it comes from. And there's a tool called the Jahari window and it has a concept that somebody who has known you for five minutes will know parts of you better than you'll ever know yourself and that you know if you can look more introspectively and identify where these things come from all of a sudden strategic thinking can come a lot easier and it can open up so much more possibility and it's it can be so freeing as well. You know, we have the data there. We just need to understand it about ourselves. So many people don't do it. Um, and it has so much positive benefit. You're not going to be wasting your time by getting to know yourself better. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this very much echoes the words of um, Stephen Covey in terms of winning the inner game first before you can win the outer game. So knowing yourself well enough to know where your strengths and weaknesses are, and where the, the real you is. Where's the authentic you, the true you? The Johari window is, is a f- fantastic tool, and that helps us to realise where some of those kind of blind spots are. What is it that you know some people know about us, but we don't know at all about ourselves? I used to used to share an office with someone who was constantly flicking pens. And it was just the most annoying thing ever, you know. And he was just totally unaware of this, and he was just constantly there, sort of flicking. And I'd like, could you just stop flicking your pen? And that that moment, ah, okay, that's that's fine. A very minor example, but something that we you know we all present in a certain way. We all sort of. Uh, kind of present a certain sort of aspect of ourselves to the world 
And often we're quite unconscious of some of the ways in which we present. Some people might say, oh, you looked a bit nervous in that presentation. Oh, I wasn't nervous, I was just thinking. <laughs> and actually trying to get that, that balance right of, you know, knowing, knowing yourself and trying to present the best possible view of yourself is really good. And what the Johari window also talks about is it's not only others' view of you, but it's also about unknown unknowns. So what do you not know about yourself and what do others not know about you, which can only be found out through a journey of discovery. So you often find in the sort of DIY house builders programs that people learn far more about themselves in building a house than they ever will about a house. You know, the, the, the journey of, you know, going and investing every single penny you've got and probably quite a lot more besides in um, some great, great sort of uh, house on the hills. So the sort of the grand designs in the, the UK and sort of program will, will show you that it's, it's possible to achieve a whole lot. But of course, that, that is a really wearying and exhausting journey. People often end up living in temporary accommodation because you can't afford to keep lots of houses, you know, going. You end up sort of, you know, standing over a building site, which is, you know, very drafty and wet and cold for quite a bit of the year. And ultimately you end up with a wonderful house, but the, the journey is, it involves an awful lot of soul searching and an awful lot of self discovery. Um, so yeah, those, those kind of unknown unknowns from the Johari window are also really important to pick up and for us to us to work on so what do you think is is kind of like the most important thing so as as we all become better at strategic thinking what do you think are the really the, the, the really important things to be able to do to do as part of a sort of daily and you know weekly and monthly kind of health check the most important things we can be doing to ensure that we can be strategic thinkers on a sort of a daily weekly monthly basis I always think that a journey of self-discovery is a continuous one it doesn't really end you can spend a lifetime getting to know who you are but when you sort of discover key points I mean it might might just be me I'm sure sure maybe we all do this they tend to come to me at three o'clock in the morning and then I can't sleep so you have a notepad by the side of your bed you can write them down and have them there and it's always to be going, what is the point? What is the point here? What am I trying to achieve? Does this meet the strategic goal? Um, I find that that ripples out through through my whole life. It's not just a, a workplace thing. It helps to make me more resilient as a person. And I think it's the sort of thing that people would be able to adopt, you know, always refocusing back to what is the point here? What am I trying to achieve? And how much does this really matter right now? It's a great one for keeping your sanity when it all feels very overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Very, very wise words there. Keeping a notepad by the side of the bed, thats uh, I think that's so important because those those wonderful ideas that uh, come to you at some unearthly hour of the, the morning tend not to uh, re-emerge for quite some while later. And I, I always do that. I always have a, have a notepad uh, beside the bed. Some some days I write nothing in it. Some days I, I write pages in, in it. And I think it's what you, what you described in terms of going back to the aim. I think there's sometimes things become a kind of end in themselves, don't they? Or there's this thing I'd really like to just tidy up and polish up and it, it's going to be amazing. And you know, sometimes you, you can have conversations with quite senior leaders and you can be asking them, well, what does this really gain you? I mean, I know it gains you a, a new, whatever it is, a new system, a new schedule, a new way of doing something. But in the grand scheme of things, when the, the top four priorities are these, 
what's this doing for all of those? It's like the fifth priority, maybe, and it's doing something that's of slightly peripheral interest to that. Should we refocus a bit? And and it's it's it is incredible. It's it's a very powerful thing to to go back to. You know, what would we what would we like to see? There was a board that I was facilitating some months back, where they were quite dissatisfied with what was coming from the sort of quality reviews of their organisation. That led you know led us to a point where we were able then to start to think about okay, so what's the strategy? They they were really struggling with well, what is our strategy? Well, maybe our strategy should be to do better on the, the quality reviews. Maybe it's about actually making a higher quality or at least a higher perceived quality product. And rather than worrying too much about a grand plan and a grand vision and everything else, maybe step one is just do what you want to do, which is we would really like to see our customers you know, absolutely loving everything that we do and, and going and telling all their friends about it. Great. That sounds like a, you know, the beginnings of strategy. So going back to the aim, you know, the aim and why. And then realizing, I think as well, all of those, those, those sort of wise words that you've mentioned that there's a lot that kind of holds us back. But in the end, you know, we have all the information. We have the ability to do amazing things. And if we know ourselves really well, then we're able to go and vault some pretty amazing sort of gaps and we're able to do incredible things in life. Mm, absolutely. Thank you, Sophie. Really great to chat with you. Thanks for, for joining me. Great pleasure to have, have you as a guest on the podcast. And uh, I'm sure we will we'll talk again very soon about some more aspects of strategic thinking and how systems thinking has evolved. So thanks everyone for listening. This is the Evolving Enterprises podcast. We have stories and growth and transformation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>